everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cup of Nurses podcast. On this episode, I would like to introduce you to Stephen Wilson. Stephen is a gentleman with bipolar. He came on this show to speak about his journey with bipolar, how he got diagnosed, what happened, and offer some insights to the mind of a person with bipolar. Shout out to our sponsors, Liquid IV and BetterHelp. It's never too early, it's never too late to get a therapy session in. Make sure you visit betterhelp.com slash cup of nurses and get a therapy session in today. Also, shout out to Liquid IV. I drink it almost every day. I drink it after I work out. I drink it after a sauna session. I even drink it on the unit. It's important to stay hydrated. I want you all to stay hydrated. Make sure you visit liquidiv.com and pick up your dose today and use code CONPAD at checkout for a little bit of a discount. Don't forget to visit couplenurses.com for any of our updates, all of our show notes, and also check out couplenurses.shop for our latest unit gear and nursing tees. So, and Steve, are you open up to, are you open to a, talk a little bit about your uh, bipolar journey. Sure. Yeah. Can you give me like an insight of of maybe some of the thoughts that, that you had maybe in your earlier years, maybe when you were a teenager of how it feels like to have bipolar? What's like the, uh, what's going on in your mind when you're going through these these, these manic or depressive phases? How does the mind of a bi- bipolar person look like? Well, I think you have to go back. We have to go back to when uh, I believe my real depression and bipolar journey started. And when I was a kid, zero to eight, everything was great. Um, Had a great family life. My parents made good money. Uh, Had a nice house. A lot of friends. Everything was great. And then one Saturday, I went to the movies with a friend of mine, and I got up to go to intermission, and a guy grabbed me, took me into the restroom, and sexually assaulted me. Uh, That's when my world changed. And about three months after the assault, and I want you to know I never told anybody, 30 years, I kept it inside of me, God's afraid. It was my fault. Uh, why did the guy do that to me? Uh, you know, I was I didn't even know those things could happen. But anyway, uh, so I hated all those years, and the depression started about three months after that. Now, if you talk to a number of psychologists and psychiatrists, you'll get different answers on what can cause depression and bipolar and other mental illnesses. Uh, There is no exact answer. It was probably a combination of uh, genetics plus my uh, sexual assault that drove into the depression. But the depression, now that goes back, got to realize that's 1958. That's 65 years ago. And I didn't even know there were people who talked to people about their mental problems. And I sure didn't get any help when I was that age. So I had to suffer it through my, by myself. And what it was like was being totally alone uh, in a dark hole and 
no feelings, no love, no desire to do anything. But as you hear what I'm telling you, you cannot imagine the scope of what it's like to go through a massive depression. I could sit here all day and give you all kind of explanations of what it was, but you can't imagine it. It's positively, in my mind, the worst thing that you could ever go through. Uh, it's just debilitating. The only, the only good thing about it is that it only lasts and comes intermittently. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. No, I, I was, I was saying okay. Like I was, just, I was listening again. <laughs> Are you a travel nurse or planning a long-term vacation? Finding housing can be one of the most stressful parts of your journey, but don't worry. Furnished Finder has you covered. With thousands of furnished properties across the U.S., from one-bedroom studios to three-bedroom family homes, you can find the perfect place to call home. Not only does Furnished Finder provide you with a wide range of options to choose from, but they also make sure that each property meets their high standards of cleanliness and safety. Travel with a peace of mind and find your home away from home with Furnished Finder. Visit furnished finder today to start your search so uh i got bad that first time after the uh incident and it lasted two or three months then i got better and i stayed better for a while um living normally and then it would hit again and it was pretty brutal. It lasted uh, all through junior high, high school, college. And when I really hit rock bottom was when I was uh, a year after I graduated from college. I wanted to kill myself. Uh, I have always been a big swimmer. I swim laps every day. And when I would get in the pool back then, each stroke... I would say, kill yourself. No, wait a minute, I, I didn't say that right. Something in my mind said, kill yourself. Um, and I had that kind of stuff happen several times where it was a voice outside of my head telling me to harm myself or kill myself or get rid of somebody or whatever it was. And in 1972, I was diagnosed as clinically depressed. Uh, but none of the treatments worked. The medications didn't do any good. So six years later, in 1978, they changed my uh, diagnosis to bipolar disorder. I was given lithium, and I started my journey back in 1978. And it still took another 40 years. And Steve, uh, when you're going through those depressive phases, you said that you had thoughts of, of suicide. What was, what, what do you think was telling you that? Did you feel like you were less than everyone else because of, of what happened to you in a movie theater? What, were you just depressed because of, of that situation that has happened and did you keep having like negative thoughts? How was that? No, I never equated it to what happened to me when I was nine. Uh, it was just something that was happening, 
and I had no control over it, and it just beat me up to where I was nothing but uh, sleeping all day, every day, and curled up in the fetal position and couldn't do anything. Uh, and, you know, back then, that's still in the early to mid-'70s, I had never even heard of bipolar disorder, so I had no idea what was going on. Then my mother, who had had problems of her own mentally, recognized what I was going through and got me set up with my first psychiatrist, and that was the beginning of, well, that was six years before I got the lithium. It was the beginning of my therapy that lasted forever. Mm. And uh, can you touch a little bit about your therapy? How did you slowly get to the point where you finally found some motivation, some light at the end of the tunnel that made you become of, made you become more of what you were, more of like yourself? What, what really helped help get you out of that that depressive state? Well, it was really a combination of the one-on-one therapy, and my psychiatrist became my support system. My parents didn't have a clue what to do with me. They never faced anything like this. My sister didn't know. My brother didn't know. So he became my support system. And I had a terrible time up until they gave me the lithium. I mean, I was couldn't keep a job. Uh, I would quit. I would uh, be. I was hospitalized. All these things happened. Between the time I was diagnosed with depression and the time they figured out it was bipolar disorder. Uh, so when I got the lithium is when I started my journey back. But as I said, it was just a starting place, and I had to deal with it for another 40 years. It's a long, exhausting process. There is no cure for bipolar disorder. Um, many people have to rely on medication, and a lot of us get on cocktails, which means we have more than one or two drugs, psych drugs, that help us get through the day. Um, but med- many people don't get any relief through medication because the medications only work for people about 50% of the time. So they have to rely on things like EMDR, uh, EBT, CBT, uh, intensive output. I can't think what it is. But anyway, there's there's a whole scope of things that people have to go to get relief along with medication if it works for them. Okay. And then with with the lithium, I also suppose people get some side effects. Did you get any side effects of, of, of lithium? Yes, it ruined my kidney. Really? And I had to have a kidney transplant about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because lots of times... But, yeah. let me tell you this. I would never have given up the lithium if it, I would have... I knew that it could happen, but I was feeling alive again, 
and I didn't want to trade that just because it might screw up my kidney. That's a choice all of us have to make out there. A lot of the medications have side effects, brutal side effects. Some people gain 50, 60, 70 pounds overnight on the medication. Um, I also, from a medication called uh, Navane, which was an antipsychotic I was on, gave me tardive dyskinesia in my eyelids, which is uncontrollable movements. They can be anywhere in your body, and they're not reversible. But I was able to get on a Botox treatment, and I've had it for uh, 35 years. But I still would not have corrected what I did just to avoid those uh, bad things that happened. Yeah, yeah, because bipolar is very debilitating because sometimes people give a really bad rap to, you know, big pharma, the pharmaceutical industry, but they don't understand firsthand the benefits that these kind of medications bring because, like you're saying, you would rather risk getting side effects you rather risk getting you know, side effects because you'd have more control over your life in a sense. Because yes, whatever, absolutely. yeah, because whatever benefits though that lithium gave you, that was greater than anything that it could, you know, you could say take away. Well, one of the things I compare it to is uh, uh, if you have cancer and you got to take chemotherapy. There are a lot of bad results with chemotherapy, getting sick and having a terrible time. Would you rather die? So the comparisons are the same, just different modalities. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's completely correct. And you're saying that the lithium doesn't, or the medication doesn't completely take away uh, the, 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 press, the, the pressure or the symptoms that bipolar brings out. So is the rest of of that just in your own will you have to kind of fight that off um or how, how does that work because it doesn't it's not like you take a take the medication oh, all of a sudden everything goes away there's still some you could say internal mental work you have to do to kind of combat those the, the those depressive um, ideas or symptoms correct well um i no longer take the method the uh, lithium because it did destroy my kidney so i had to give it up and that was about uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, after I'd been on it for over 20 years. And I went on a, a different drug called Lamictal, and it worked just as well as the lithium. But I needed something else because I had terrible ruminations. In other words, things would go into my mind, and they'd just spin and spin and spin, and I'd worry over everything and apologize. It was awful. That's what it was like even with the lithium. And then a new psychiatrist, my old one died, a new psychiatrist gave me another drug in the year 2000, and it's called Paxil, and it's still being used today, and that cut out most of the ruminations. Funny that uh, just yesterday I had an attack for probably the first time in years, uh -huh. for one day, and I had to stay in bed all day. I have no idea where that attack came from, but as quickly as it came and stayed for a day, it went away. So you're never cured from bipolar. It's going to be with you all the time.
Um, and that leads to the fact that too many people in this country and probably around the world are falling through the cracks when it comes to getting treatment for mental illness. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The number one reason, I think, is because our mental health system is so bad. You know, they'll, they'll cover damn near everything in a, physically, but when it comes to mental illness, uh, they've taken away the, the uh, ability for psychiatrists and psychologists to uh, accept insurance and still make a living because of the low amounts they get paid. Uh, they refuse a lot of people who are on disability or who can't afford to go to a psychiatrist because they're charging a couple hundred bucks an hour. Well, they send them to clinics, and the clinics are overwhelmed. And it's just a mess the way this country handles our problem. And you got to realize that 20% of Americans are mentally ill or suffer from mental illness. That's millions of people. So it is a huge problem. That statistic, by the way, is worldwide. And our system is terrible. And what I have done to try to, in my own little way, alleviate some of those problems is to facilitate two mental health support groups here in Phoenix. And I, my, my groups are always full. People from all walks of life come to them. And people from all walks of life are not getting the help they need, again, because of the system. Uh, the amount of sexual, physical, mental abuse at a young age is driving people to have real serious mental problems. And that problem is just skyrocketing out of control. Uh, I see these people come to my groups all the time and the stories they tell about what their parents did to them or Uncle Buck or... Sammy down the street, you know, it's just, I went through it, but only once. A lot of these people go through it for years. And, you know, the government really just doesn't do a whole lot, in my opinion, to try to uh, make things different. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that that's for sure. They definitely, it's a more they try to... Uh, sweep it under under the rug and pretend like it really doesn't exist because I don't want to, because it's almost like they want to say they have bigger things to worry about, but this is actually a really big thing to worry about because if, for example, if you don't find treatment or if you don't find any kind of help, uh, your kids suffer from it, people around you suffer, suffer, suffer from it, it's almost like a snowball effect. Is, 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 Absolutely. If it doesn't get stopped here, then you know this is going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening in in greater numbers. Um, but but Steve, how much relief did you get, or maybe how much relief do people that come to your sessions get when they actually are able to speak about these these kinds of things? Because like you said, when you're younger, it was really hard for you to speak on it. So 
how, how much relief did you feel? How much people, how much relief do people feel when they finally actually just talk about that horrible life situation and they kind of just get it out of, out of their mind in a sense? It depends on the individual. And I would say in my groups, and I can handle about 15 people a, a session. And I get calls and emails every week to join. And I just can't, I can't do a two-hour session with 30 people. It just doesn't work. So a lot of these people come, but they shoot themselves in the foot because they're reluctant to share. They go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. They get some medication. They take the medication. It doesn't work right away. So they say, screw that. I'm not taking a medication anymore. Not realizing that the minimal amount of time it takes to work is two to four weeks and sometimes three months. So they give up on that. There are many people who say, I'm not taking medication, just like the, the vaccine we went through a couple years ago. So they don't, they don't even try. Um, many people will try the medication. It works. They start feeling better. And then they go, I don't need this medication anymore. I feel fine. And they stop it. And then the next thing you know, they're back where they were before. It is a long, hazardous, harrowing journey to get through bipolar and clinical depression. The reason I just wrote my memoir entitled Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey, is so people could see... One, if they don't think people, when they say they're mentally ill or really mentally ill, they think they're just lazy or whatever. But it outlines exactly what I went through my entire life. And you can see right in front of you the terrible things that can happen to you when you are totally at the mercy of depression and bipolar. Um. I would say, when you asked me a minute ago how many people probably find relief from my groups, 20%. I was uh, more and so asking of how many people get relief from just uh, opening up and sharing their experience because it, it took you years to finally tell somebody what happened to you, right? And this, these people are also going through the same thing. So how much relief people get from just by, you know, just just telling somebody about the situation, just so it's not just, you could say, them dealing with it and holding on to it for such a long time. Well, in my groups, I encourage people to say anything they want. I don't censor them. We don't talk about anything outside the group that was said in the group. And so there's total freedom for them to do what they want. Even having said that, Many of them will say they've been fine. Uh, they're dealing with it. Uh, they're having good days. Uh, many of them say 
uh, I'm doing real well today. And then I'll ask him, well, how have you been the last couple of days? Terrible, but I'm feeling well today. Well, that doesn't get him anywhere. Uh, many people open up. They tell the most horrendous things that you can think could happen to a person. They never come back. So that's why the success rate is only 20% in my mind. Um, some people have accepted their lot in life and that they will be like this forever. I think it's a shame. No one should have to put up with this because there are good ways for people to get better. Yeah, you're completely right, Steve. It's very, it's a very um, hard situation. Uh, what do you think holds back people from uh, speaking up up about it, what what they went through? Is it do you feel like it's uh, almost like an embarrassment kind of a thing? Do they feel less than somebody else? Why is it so hard for them to talk about it? Well, shame is a big one because it's always in their mind their fault. Um, I have had many. Many of my people come and say, my mother did this, my father did this, and the things they tell me are horrific. But then they'll say, well, I am trying to forgive them. But they don't help themselves first. You can't get anywhere by forgiving somebody if you haven't accepted the fact that you experienced whatever it was and that you were going to live your life the best you can. So a lot of people just don't want to don't want to deal with it. Um, I know that uh, I had a few problems left over about five years ago that I had to get resolved, and I went to a trauma therapist for about eight months or a year, whatever it was, and we just laid out my life from my beginning memories all the way through so I could see right in front of me in one fell swoop everything that happened, and it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, because up until that time, I was still hurting from some things that I should have gotten over 30 years ago. See, when you're bipolar or you're depressed, you have no control over your mind. And if it wants to tell you to keep beating yourself up about a girlfriend you, you've missed all these years, well, you'll keep doing it, and you can't get away from it. So, so Steve, when you start to get these these oppressive ideas or the, these thoughts, do you combat it in a in a way, or you just kind of uh, deal with it and wait for it to to go away? How do you how do you cope with this? Do you have maybe like like maybe like an aura, or do you have like a sense of when this this depression is coming on? Well, I will tell you that it doesn't happen much anymore. With as I said, I went on Paxil, and that calmed my my brain down quite a bit. Uh, but when I did used to have it uh, before two thousand, 
Um, there was no way to stop it. You can't just sit there and go, oh, I'm going to have this thought jump from my mind. It doesn't work. Now, you can do meditation. You can do deep breathing. You can have spinners. Uh, you can have all kinds of things to help cope with it. But it doesn't go away. Now, there's, there are certain modalities you can use. There's now EMDR, which is... Uh, rapid eye movement uh, to help control your mind. Uh, there's intensive outpatient therapy. There's EM, uh, there's uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. And all these things can work in your helping you to get over these tremendous thoughts. Uh, and they do help. They do help a lot. They train you to control your thinking to the best of your ability, whatever that is. Yeah. And Steve, I'm going to do a little shameless plug here uh, with your book, uh, Teetering on a Tightrope. Uh, where can people get that? It's on Amazon. It's on uh, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's only 130 pages. It's a two-and-a-half, three-hour read. And I think I wrote it very well, if I can pat myself on the back. A lot of people read it straight through. Um, you know, I didn't write this book to make any money. Uh, as, I've, as I found out, it can be very expensive to, uh, to get a book published and then to get it marketed. But I... The whole thing is to get the word out there of how serious this mental health issue is in this country. And that's why I did it. And Steve, uh, living with bipolar, is there anything that you found appreciation in or maybe have learned uh, with your journey with, with, with this issue? Maybe someday maybe took for granted when you were younger and now you kind of realize how how precious it is? Well, the big thing I took from it was needing to have a good, strong support system, family and friends. Uh, I got most of my support from my wife, my friends, my kids. Um, and that is essential if you are going to control the rest of your life and lead a good life. Um, without my wife, I never would have made it. And Steve, I um, also want to touch base upon, have you used uh, like recreational drugs? I know a lot of people that have uh, bipolar schizophrenia or, or even depression or, you know, the general public has a wide use for, for drugs like, you know, cocaine, uh, meth, all those kind of things. Have you struggled with, with any kind of uh, like drug dependence with that? Have I found any codependence? Uh, have you had? Have you ever struggled with drugs? I know a lot of people that have bipolar. You know, they also um, struggle with with you know illicit drug use like uh, cocaine, meth, anything like that. Have you had any kind of history with them? Curious. Well, of, of course I have. Not with myself. I have never done any drugs. Not a big drinker. I, I don't even drink at all now. But um, drugs and mental illness 
go hand in hand. Alcohol, illicit drugs, are depressants. And some of them, on the flip side, are stimulants. So either way, they're going to harm your thinking. I have several people who were attending AA on a regular basis and come to my meetings on a regular basis and go to two or three other meetings on a regular basis between the alcoholism or the drug use and the bipolar. That's how they get through the day. So it does go hand in hand, but it depends on the individual. Okay. Uh, why do you think it goes hand to hand? Is it people that, for example, are like in a manic phase, they want to bring themselves down, or do they usually use like an upper to kind of even push themselves well, higher? Why do they? Tell you well, a little thing that happened in my life when I was about 40, I guess, 35. Um, a friend of mine from college called me one day. He was living in Dayton, Ohio. I was outside Columbus. And he was discussing his young son. His young son, I think, was 16 at the time. And the young son had been taking drugs and got depressed at the same time and then started breaking into houses to supplement his income so he could buy his drugs. He got picked up by the cops bringing into a house. His, my friend, his father was a very prominent man in Dayton and they were gonna turn over his son to his parents and have him stay in their custody. The parents went to the sheriff's office, got out of the car, walked up to the police car, the kid got out, pulled a gun, shot himself in the head. Um, now, which did it? The depression or the drugs? I would say both. Um, I had a young lady, I had a clothing store in Ohio for men and women, and every Christmas we would hire young ladies mostly young ladies in junior high and high school to wrap packages and run errands and stuff. And one Christmas I hired a young lady who was just wonderful, vivacious, cute, laughing all the time. I thought she was really on her way to being something else. One Saturday morning, friend came into the store before we opened up. She was screaming and crying. The little girl who was working for me had pulled a gun on herself last night, pulled the covers over her head, and shot herself dead. There is no explanation for what causes things like that. There are, they can be situational, they can be drugs, they can be depression, they can be anything. But what I've learned is that teenagers, young adults, 
are just so battered about with stress and all the things to get through high school and to get into a good college and to have friends and everything. It is a real epidemic, and there have been about two or three more suicides with people I've known in my life just because, well, you can't, can't explain why. You don't have the exact answer, but it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely a lot of, a lot of whys. Um, you know, why do these things happen to people? Like, you know, you could, you're a, you're a young kid, you're a teenager, you know, you could be any kind of age and something traumatic can, can happen. And you're always thinking why, you know, why me? Why does this happen? And for the rest of your life, you're, you're always going to be going to be thinking why and just, just ha not having that understanding or that explanation of why it just puts you in a whole different, different place. You're, you're always going to be chasing that why, but there really is no answer. There, you're never, ever going to go to get that why. No, not at all. Um, what I, one of the big things I focus on in my book is the teenage depression. And I used to speak at uh, high school psychology and health classes on teenage depression. So many people would come up after my talks and talk about all the things, no matter what walk of life they were in, that were beating them down, like pressure from their parents and and inability to start on the basketball team and having no friends. And they're, they're just getting hammered left and right. And the schools don't do a lot to help them. They think they do. Well, maybe that's compared to 50 years ago. But for what these kids need, they don't give them enough help. Yeah, I feel like this is where adults and teachers fail these students because I feel like the teachers, the adults, it's almost like they don't take this seriously because I want to say they have bigger things to worry about and, you know, there's worse stuff going on. But you got to realize that in this kid's life, this is the most serious thing that could happen. You know, not making a... A basketball team might not seem like an end of the world to an adult, but to this kid, this this is almost the end of the world. This this, this is their world where I feel yeah. like we adults think that these problems that these kids have aren't that big of a problem because they're not life or death. But put yourself in their shoes, put yourself in their time. That is the biggest thing that they're going through in their lives. It's almost like we discredit them because we know that later in life how serious things could get, but we're not taking into perspective how serious this kid's life is right now. These things that seem like small problems are actually really, really big problems in this kid's life because this is this kid's life. You know, this is big to them. This is very important to them. Just like, just like something's important to you, just like maybe not paying a mortgage might seem more important than not, mask, not making a basketball team. But in that kid's life, this is heartbreaking. This is devastating. And I feel like we adults just take that for granted and really don't care too much about it because it's not that big of a deal, but it really is a really, really big deal. It's almost that they get bypassed. And it can hit anybody, believe me. Anybody can fall into the mental illness trap and it's it just grabs you and you got to fight for your life. And too many people just ignore it. I had a guy in my town who was a very prominent citizen. Um, 
very wealthy, gave a lot of money to charities and church. One day his wife came home and she found him hanging from a, a beam in the basement. He'd killed himself. Now, what do you think his friends said about him at a memorial service I went to maybe six weeks after he had killed himself? What do you think? This? You know what they said? They said, how could he do this? Nobody has the right to kill themselves. How could he be so mean to his wife and his children and me as one of his best friends? And I sat there in this meeting and I got up and I said, you people don't have a clue. He felt in his mind that this was, he was doing the best thing possible for himself and everybody else involved. He was at the end of his rope and nothing was going to stop him. He didn't do it to hurt you or his wife. He did it to spare you and himself. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's definitely that's definitely really powerful to think about because now that I'm looking back, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, um, I was going through, I was a little troubled teen myself. So it's crazy that you bring that up because at one point in my life, I felt like I would be doing people around me a favor if I committed suicide or, or if I if, if I did that. And it's crazy that you bring that up now because that's probably how a lot of people feel. It's not, it's almost like they feel like they're such a burden that the best thing they could do for this world is not to be part of it. And I can tell you, I've been through it. I didn't take my life, but I came oh so close. And it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, that's such a shame that people are saying that because it's almost like, you know, the gentleman passed away and, you know, they're calling him selfish. But in, in a sense, they probably didn't care what was going on in, in his life. And they probably didn't ask how things were going or they probably bypassed his situation. They thought that he's going to get out of it or whatever is going to happen. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times people can almost feel or sense that something is off by someone. Maybe, maybe they've known somebody for a long time and they could they get that feeling that they hate, like they're a little bit more depressed than they normally are. There's something probably going on in, in their life. They just don't take the time to actually dig a little deeper. And it's almost like by having friends, almost like you have responsibility to your friends who check up on them in, in a sense, because you're the first one that's going to notice that something is going on besides that person themselves. And it's almost like our responsibility to each other is to almost figure out in a sense or to ask questions to figure out what is going on. It's almost like the people around him failed him as well because they weren't there asking questions. They, they didn't really care about him in a sense. And that probably made him feel the, the same way that people don't care about me. I don't care about myself and so on and so forth. It led to, led to the demise in, in that sense. Well, one of the great skills most depressives and those suffering from bipolar have is to fake it. We can act like everything is fine. We can laugh at all the jokes. We can 
swim laps. We can do all these things and act like we have not a care in the world. It is our defense to not let anybody know how bad we are. So it's very difficult for people to know unless you're very close to someone when they are suffering. Because of my years of experience doing the mental health groups, I can pretty much tell when someone is mentally struggling. Um, I had a guy today, just this afternoon, called me up. He was from my mental health group. And I knew the minute he said hello that he was on a manic fight. Uh, most people wouldn't notice. He was talking very loud, very fast. And I knew damn well this guy was going to crash soon. Um, he won't take his medication. So what can I do? So you really can't fault someone for not knowing if somebody is suffering because most of the time they don't want you to know. I told no one except my psychiatrist and two friends, forgetting my own, my family, for 30 years that I was in bad shape. So that's the way we deal with it. We don't want anybody to know how screwed up we are. Yeah. It's like a, like a mask that you put on every day. And yeah. so I'm kind of curious. So um, is it is it that shame that people feel that they shouldn't feel for? Or, or is it, or do they feel that their problems aren't as important as someone else's problems? Because sometimes I catch myself do, doing that where I don't want to talk about what's going on because I feel like somebody else on the flip side has more on their plate than, than I do. So sometimes I don't talk about certain things because I feel like my problems are less than everybody else's. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, we tend to downgrade the value of our lives. We seem to get to think our, that, uh, that we are worthless and you don't want anybody to know how you're feeling that worthless that you are. So you tell no one, uh, you act, you try to act normal. And most people don't catch on. Most people do not catch on. Um, it's a horrible disease. Uh, the shame is a big part of it. This is my fault. When someone comes up to you and says, why, are you, why aren't you yourself today? And then they'll tell you to go take a walk. That'll make you feel better. Or they'll make the classic one. Well, you've got a good life. You have no reason to feel down. All that does is sink you further down into the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. I mean, 100%. If, if someone, if you're going through this and no one, nobody around you knows what you're going through and somebody gives you that, you just feel, you, you just feel like a speck of dust. You're just yeah. like, like, what's the point? Like, 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 yeah. Wow. So, so Steve, you having your own therapy sessions, what do you, if you had a magic wand, how would you 
maybe fix this mental health problem that's going on in in uh in, in the world by that i mean is there any way that we could fix this do you think maybe opening up more clinics around could could help people how do you think we would go about to maybe solve this this issue about, about people not getting the help that they need well it's easy for me to give my reasons that i feel so strongly about and they are one that most people in the government don't care they've got other things to worry about uh they need to put in a new bridge over here well that's money so it's not going to go to mental health so they they put everything together and whatever's left over for those insignificant mental health people is what you get but it is far more than that it's the people all over the world don't accept that mental illness can be as debilitating as cancer which everybody wants to beat they want to beat heart disease they want to beat everything but mental health no big deal so until the attitude changes people are going to continue to fall through the cracks they're going to get bad help uh the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies are going to feel that they don't have to really uh support mentally ill as much as they do physical medicine so that's my opinion and you can you can bring things up like money and uh, resources and all that but you know what for a lot of big problems in this world they find the money and they get the resources and they pull the people together but for mental health right now the way it is it's gotten better since i was nine years old but it's still in the dark ages i mean why should somebody say somebody is a child molester and he commits an act against a kid and he gets caught automatically where does he go jail everybody wants him in jail get him out of the system nobody ever thinks well maybe this guy has a problem in his brain that forces him to do these things and maybe we should give him the care mentally he needs so we can rehabilitate him and then maybe we should take the victim and give them the care they need so their life isn't ruined today in the psychiatric community more and more therapists psychiatrists counselors are leaving the business because they can't make a good living and we just let it continue uh, they're going to be, I forget, I read not long ago that the number is going to be about 30% less psychiatrists in the, in the next 30 or 40 years. 
how can you fix the problem if you're forcing everybody to go look for someplace else for a job? Yeah, I feel like it might be one of those things where for the government to actually do something about this, it has to hit them firsthand. Uh, we saw, you know, we got the military industrial complex going on. We have billions of dollars to send overseas to different countries, but we don't give, but we don't have money to give to our own, our own people. So it's one of those things where it has to affect these politicians directly for them to actually take take note of it. Uh, for example, I, during a draft, you know, politicians, see, uh, senators, and congress, congressmen's kids are being drafted to to the war. That's fine when they realized, hey, this draft probably isn't a good idea because it was it was impacting them directly. It has to happen. A lot of times it has to happen directly to the people for them to understand what what it means to actually go through these things, to actually have a child that that had this happen to them before things actually are able to to change legislation. It, it's very frustrating and it, and it sucks and it's very very unfair. You know, I don't wish this happened to anybody in Congress or anything like that, but. It kind of sucks. It has to hit people a lot of times firsthand for them to kind of realize how important uh, this is. But like you said, you know, they they find money for everything. Why can't why can't why can't they not find money for this? Um, I lived in California for the last couple of years, and the homeless people that I, that I see out there on the streets all suffer from kind of a some some mental health condition. And how do you expect for them to to live if you aren't helping them in in that sense? If somebody like you said, if somebody breaks a bone and can't walk, what do we do? We, we pay for their surgery. You know, there's government funding for surgery. Oh, because they got to walk. If they can't walk, how are they going to be part of society? Well, same thing. If they if their brain can't function properly, how are they going to be a part of society? It's the same thing as, as like a broken bone in a sense or a problem with the heart. We're so good at funding these things and pumping money into this. But when it comes to mental health, it seems to have have no, no money in it for some reason. We had money years ago, but for... It, it got changed. Legislation got changed. It got taken out because we used to have a lot of um, mental health clinics, but then people were getting getting taken advantage of. It wasn't done right. It wasn't done sure. right, so it got completely destroyed because it was not being done right. A lot of, a lot of bureaucratic stuff. A lot of abuse was happening, so they wiped it all out. But the solution was to change it, to maybe make the the rules a little bit stricter, make the regulations a little bit tighter. But they chose to cop out and take the easy way and just get rid of all institutions and things like that. And now it seems like we got to start slowly bringing them back because people, people need help. You can't just tell somebody go for a walk. Like you're saying, we can't just tell somebody, Hey, just meditate for a little bit. It'll go away. No, because it might go away from you, but you're not the one suffering from these, these thoughts, these, these ideas. Um, I'm curious, Steve, um, any information about the recent use of psychedelics? Um, like ketamine or uh, or like mushrooms yes. or LSD, and do you have any information on that? It's always fun I to be curious. I can use some insights of what my own people in my groups have told me. The first time I heard about ketamine was from a doctor who was about 65 years old. He was in my group, and he was very depressed. Now, this is maybe eight years ago and he couldn't find any relief so ketamine comes on the scene and he signs up for i don't know many many sessions at 500 dollars a session now if you take a ketamine infusion from what people have told me you get a 
very huge high. And it feels great. And you you, you might hallucinate, you might get uh, violent. Any of these things can happen. For this guy, uh, first time I heard of ketamine, he took it and he had those highs or whatever. It wasn't outlandish. But uh, the results worked usually for just a day or two. Now, that was eight years ago. He spent a lot of money and got nowhere. I now have a girl in my group. She's been with me for about six or seven years. She comes every week. Um, she is taking uh, the ketamine infusions about once a month. To her, she experienced the high, she experienced the anger, but the ketamine treatment has worked for her for one, two, three months at a time. Now, I don't know if the difference over six or seven years is because the treatment has been refined and is better now, or if it depends on the individual. So that's ketamine. That's what I know about ketamine. Um, marijuana. A lot of people in my group take marijuana. Now, the reason they take marijuana, from my viewpoint, is because it relaxes them and they don't have to think about how badly they feel. They just kind of zone out. Um, I don't know how long the effects last. I know that the effects are pretty good when they're going through it, but do you have to do it every day? Some of them certainly do. So it seems to me that the marijuana is more of a Band-Aid approach. LSD and things like that, I don't know anything at all about. But I will tell you that... People have gotten good results from uh, eye movement, rapid eye movement, tapping, which when you are having a uh, beginning of an episode, you start tapping yourself in a certain way. Um, there is dialectical behavioral therapy. These all teach you how to get your mind under control better so you can have a better life. I place more emphasis on things like uh, uh, intensive outpatient therapy, EMDR, and those others rather than I do what I know about marijuana and ketamine. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're all different, unique human beings. The good thing about that is we all can find a different way to help ourselves. Yes. The bad thing about that is there isn't one way, you know, so it's like a double-edged sword, you know, we can find, you can, we can find help through anything and nothing at the same time, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the story of life. I don't know in the next few years where we're all headed in mental health. I don't see any great strides coming. 
Uh, I don't see any national push coming to take care of the people on the streets or the people in clinics who can't get much help. I just don't see it happening. Have you ever heard of MAPS, Steve? Who? MAPS. M-A-P-S? No. Okay, so um, this, I think they're based on a San, either San Francisco or or or, a, or Denver, Colorado, but um, it's a government-funded and privately funded uh, research institute for uh, psychedelic therapy for people with PTSD, depression, all those kind, yeah. kinds of things. So they're the ones that are kind of making headway. I don't know people that are being recognized by the government as uh, trying to use things like ketamine or uh, MDMA or other psychedelic drugs for people that have these these uh, these these uh, mental health issues because we know that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. We know that success rate of pharmaceutical uh, mental um, drugs are about 50%, sometimes even less, 30 to 60% is usually the case, but there's other stuff out there that might be able to help these, these individuals as well. So just on your own time, if you want to look into it, it's called, it's called MAPS. Um, I've, I actually met one of the researchers in, in Miami before when I was when I was traveling, and she... Uh, she she showed me some of the research that they're they're doing, and some of it's uh, really interesting. You know, it's still it's still new, it's slowly being funded. But you know, if it could help 10, 20, 30, 40 percent of the population, you know, why not? If it helps 10 percent, you know, that all that that's more than you know, it's more than where we were at before. Well, how long did it take the government to get the coronavirus shut up so it saved millions of lives? Year and a half. You could do that for mental health. <laughs> they could, right? They could. They could. Is that crazy? It's it's like they could, and and, and you. They see don't it. want to get involved in any of these things. They want the people, the billionaires, and they're not gonna. They can't cure. They don't even have enough money. But uh, nobody wants to take this very seriously. They talk about it, but I don't see them jumping in there and saying we're gonna fix this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a political spectrum, I guess. And plus, we got election year coming up soon. So it's going to even put it at a lower, lower power totem pole, totem pole you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's right now, it's all, you know, division, division, division that we see in, in this world. And it's like, why is there only division, division, division going on? And why can't we just figure out a way to, you know, su support people a little, little bit more versus, you know, focusing on the things that divide us? Because you and I, we're more similar than, than different. You know, we might disagree on a handful of things, but I guarantee we could agree on a lot more. We could agree on a lot yeah. more things that we could disagree on. But for some reason, out of its human nature, we always focus on these things. Same with like the negatives of life. You remember when somebody harmed you, but you don't really remember the time that they did good good for you. You know, so that's out of its the way we're programmed or what. But it's just uh interesting world. It's not getting any easier. It's not getting any simpler. That's for sure. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, thanks so much for your time thanks so much for talking to me i really appreciate our conversation thank you for having me i enjoyed it yeah no problem if people want to reach out to you uh do you have an email you can provide or a website uh just some more information if they want to reach out to you um uh, the website is author steve w wilson.com okay i'll also put that out on the bottom of our show notes so they could also hit the link if you guys are looking for a 
want to talk to Steve over here, or maybe even if you're in Arizona, want to join a, a session, need some help, you know, Steve's the guy for you out there in Scottsdale. Well, I, I would say that there's a better way to go about it than trying to get into my group because, as I said, they're too full. Okay. If you go, if a person wants to find out how to find some groups around where they live, they can go to the NAMI, N as in Nancy, A as in and, M as in member, I as in injustice, NAMI, N-A-M-I, website, and they can get all the information they need to find how they can get help in their part of the country. I'd love to have them join my group, but it just isn't going to work. Okay, I understand, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think, once again, thank you so much for your time. Looking to maybe talking to you again in the future. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Oh, I got to go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for